Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, Cardinals fans all. This is the epic episode number 10 of the Pitcher Today's podcast. And because we wanted to do something outlandish for the 10th episode, we've got the entire band together. Well, unfortunately, Dane's unable to join us, being that it's around the holidays and, and spending time with family. But we've got me, Nick. We've got Josh, so the two regulars. We've got Dennis, also from Pitchers at Eighth, and we've also got Andrew from Pitchers at Eighth. The four of us are going to respectfully, hopefully, debate the 2012 Hall of Fame ballot and, and at the end perhaps have a consensus ballot between the four of us on uh, on who we think should get in. And obviously a little bit wider-ranging focus than just the Cardinals for this show, but uh, frankly, there's not a whole lot going on right now. It's the dead of winter, and, and everybody's waiting for pitchers and catchers to report, so we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame. Gentlemen, thank you uh, for for taking some time out of your day so that we can do this. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to who the first two of us are that's going to get into a knockdown drag out over a marginal Hall of Famer. Tony Womack. Go, Dennis. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to have words with anyone who votes for Tony Womack. Well, with that said, guys, I, I figure we'll just launch right into it. And we've got, I've got a list here separated out. We've got 13 players on the ballot for the first time, 14 players returning to the ballot. Um, and we'll get to those later. Let's go through the first time guys on the ballot because, as is usually the case with these, it, there seems to be a sense of of putting a guy on the ballot as a matter of respect for his longevity or, or whatever the case may be. At any rate, um, there are some names on here that we can seemingly just kind of tick off really quickly. And so I will uh, start at the... The first name on my list and one of only three pitchers on the entire ballot. I'm sorry, four pitchers on the ballot. Brad Radke. 148 and 139 career record with a 422 career ERA. Surprisingly, surprising to me anyways, was good for 40.9 war over his career. That can't be right. Andrew. Is Brad Radke a Hall of Famer? Well, I, I think the answer is pretty clearly no there, but you do have to uh, be pretty impressed, I think, by what he managed to accomplish over his career. I mean, he wasn't a dominant pitcher by any stretch of the imagination, but he seems like a guy who definitely got the most out of his natural ability. Seems a very fair assessment. And uh, Dennis, Brad Radke, yes or no? Um, no. I mean, I think he's definitely a shoe-in for the Hall of Very Good. You know, he had a really, really good run during his 12 seasons, but I really think he needed another two or three seasons with, uh, with a few more wins to uh, have a legitimate shot. I mean, uh, ERA plus of 113 over his career, during that era, just to me, is not quite enough. All right, Josh, two no votes. What about you, Brad Radke? 
Yeah, making a third. Kind of what you said, Nick. Uh, some of the first-timers, I think they get included for, you know, uh, just to kind of give them a, a pat on the back, if you will. And, and Racky did have a, a nice career, but definitely not a Hall of Fame career. All right, well, far be it from me to argue with the experts. So Brad Radke, off the pitcher's hit eighth ballot, and just like that, we've already eliminated one of 27 names. Uh, next name on the list, Terry Mulholland. Uh, career record of 124 and 142 with a 441 ERA career um, and, and over 20 seasons, Mulholland uh was a guy who spent about half his time in the pen, half the time starting, and, I, well, Dennis, Terry Mulholland, Hall of Famer or not? Um, no, he's like the Tony Womack of pitchers. <laughs> I mean, he's like around 10 war for 20 seasons in his career. Seven point three according to, Yeah, seven point three war for twenty seasons according to uh according to b- baseball reference. Okay, so I was being generous. He actually sucked more than I thought. <laughs> um, you know, he was left handed. That's the only explanation I have for his longevity. But no way. One no, Andrew, Terry Mulholland, yay or nay? Definitely, uh definitely nay. I mean it's it's funny, I mean, not that this has any specific bearing on his case, but I just remember him, you know, as a really old guy uh, hanging around the league in his late years. Um, went to a lot of Dodger games growing up, uh, living in L.A., and uh, I just remember him getting traded to the Dodgers, like in a deadline deal in 2001, and just getting, just getting completely shelled. Uh, looking at his stats now, he gave up uh, seven home runs in 29 innings the rest of that season with the Dodgers, and uh, definitely was not one of their better uh, mid-season acquisitions. <laughs> but uh, the uh, the career numbers uh, aren't exactly there either. All right, Josh, you're up. Yeah, uh, two in a row uh, for a make it a clean sweep, I would say, with a no vote, but, you know, anybody that is able to stick around for 20 years, even given those type of stats, that just goes to show you what uh, the loogie has done to the game of baseball here in the last 20 years. Right, I think that's a great point. You know, again, hard to say if Mulholland would have stuck around as long as he did without having that advantage of, of throwing from the left side. Again, part of the reason why we're starting at this end of the ballot and, and we committed to going through the entire thing, I, I hate to just eliminate names without getting at least a small amount of input from you guys. So another name off the list, Terry Mulholland, um, honored by being on the list, but uh, but no dice, at least from us. Next name on our list, uh, and, and Dennis, we'll start with you on this one, Bill Miller. Bill Miller. No, just no way. I mean, granted, he's a Missouri guy. That gets him something in my mind because I'm a little biased, but uh, but I just I just don't see it. You know, he was a, a good 
sub quality, you know, replacement type player, um, but not much more than that. No, for Bill Miller, Josh, uh, thoughts on the uh, the switch hitter? Well, you kind of took the words out of my mouth, and I said, much like a uh, a pitcher is able to stick around if he's a lefty, guys like Bill here that can hit, supposedly hit, at a major league level from both sides of the plate seem to be able to prolong their career. The the the, the top notch switch hitters, the Lance Berkman's and Carlos Beltran's just you don't find very many of them and, and what you do end up getting are a lot of guys that can try to play as many positions as they can to stick around as long as they can and <laughs> in this case end up on the Hall of Fame ballot for twenty twelve. So another no vote. Two no's. Andrew, uh, last vote to you, Bill Miller, yay or nay? Uh, that's that's definitely a nay, but uh, he does have the, the 2003 American League batting title, so we can't take that away from him. But, uh, <laughs> you just, I mean, you look at his career, I mean, he, he only played 11 seasons, and a couple of those were really more like partial seasons. Um he did have a you know a 373 career on base percentage. Um, he was an above average major league hitter, but I think it's pretty clear that he's well well below uh, the threshold that we're looking at here. Again, hard to argue with uh, with our panel of three experts here. I'm gonna say uh, nice career to Bill Miller, but certainly not a Hall of Famer. The next name on the ballot, Josh, and Maybe this is one that, again, doesn't need a whole lot of discussion. We can just kind of go down the line here. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody's got a soft spot in their heart for Eric Young. Oh, boy. Uh, I, I don't think EY gets much uh, much consideration here, but you know, maybe his offspring will uh, do the, the Young family name proud, but uh, definitely not a Hall of Famer. All right, Dennis, Eric Young. No. I think you could add uh, Eric Young Sr. and Eric Young Jr.'s numbers together, and you still don't have even a passable average major leaguer, honestly. So my vote is no. Andrew, final nail? Yeah, uh Definitely a note here as well. I mean, looking at his numbers, he played played 15 years, and uh, he only had four seasons where he was even a league average hitter going by OPS+. plus. So uh, definitely short, and I, I feel like I need to just subtract even more points just for how atrocious he was on baseball tonight. I will agree with you there and, and subtract even further. Um, so, uh, Eric Young, maybe, uh, on the list, even, even below Bill Miller, probably in reality, even without, uh, our baseball tonight subtractions added in. Um, the next name on the list is one that will be familiar to Cardinal fans and, uh, and perhaps, I don't want to influence anybody here, but perhaps warrant a little bit more discussion. Outfielder. Brian Jordan. Dennis, you're up first. 
You know, I was honestly shocked to see that Brian Jordan played 15 seasons. I had no no idea. Um, I thought his career actually ended somewhere around age 33, 34. Uh, he was still with Atlanta at age 39. I find that absolutely incredible, uh, considering his career on base percentage is 333. Um, he wasn't that significant of a home run threat, quite honestly. So I don't know what actually uh, you know, motivated teams to, to keep him around uh, over the years. But he did manage a pretty respectable uh, war number over his career, but I wouldn't call it sustained and I wouldn't call it excellent. So I, I think he's even short of the Hall of Very Good. He's more like the Hall of Fairly Good. All right, I'll assume that's a no vote. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a no vote. I mean, he was. I, I really do admire the the way he defended his position, the way he played the outfield. But beyond that, uh, he just didn't hit enough. All right, we've got one no. Andrew Brian Jordan. Yeah, no here as well. But I mean, the nice thing, uh, like you mentioned before, about you know, these guys being on the ballot is, you know, you can go back and take a second look and taking a second look at Brian Jordan, I, I was honestly very surprised at how good of a player he was because um, I, I didn't really remember him that way. But, uh, I mean, he had two seasons with at least uh, six war, particularly great defensive numbers that he had Let's see, I think four seasons where he was worth at least two wins above replacement just out of his defense. So uh, a great defensive outfielder and a pretty good hitter. So uh, he definitely uh, deserves a lot of credit, but also clearly not a Hall of Famer. All right, Josh, the former Cardinal, Brian Jordan. Yeah, for me, I grew up a not only a Cardinals fan, but an Atlanta Falcons fan. So it was nice to see the the dual sport guy here. I, I kind of wonder if he would have just focused on baseball, if it would have helped, or, you know, it, I guess it, in theory, if he wasn't staying in shape for his other, uh, his moonlighting gig, maybe he wouldn't have been as good a defender. But uh, not a Hall of Famer, but definitely a guy I will look back fondly as a a nice addition, but definitely not a, a marquee guy or, or somebody that will probably even warrant enough to even stay on the ballot after this year. You know, I I either have a, a softer spot in my heart for former Cardinals than I expected or or, or I'm missing something. I, I, I don't know. At any rate, I, I want to give – and I realize that this is something I'm fabricating in my own brain and, and along the lines of what Josh was saying about playing football and that. And it, and it doesn't change a statistical line. So ultimately, I don't think that Brian Jordan is a Hall of Famer, but I can't help but wonder. I, I give him a little bit more credit, I think, than Dennis does in terms of I think he was a very good player. I just think his peak was very, very short. And I think it was because of the rigorous uh, the rigors of – play in both sports and, and I'm with Josh I wonder what would have happened if he had focused 
just on baseball. He was a freak, freak athlete, and that lends itself to being a great defender, as Andrew discussed. And for that matter, I wonder how great a football player he could have been if he had focused on just football. He was that good of an athlete that I think he could have, he could have, I think he excelled at both. I think he could have, he, he could have been, I'm not sure that I want to go so far as to say transcendent if he had focused on one, but he could have been really, really, really a, a, an outstanding player, more memorable than he is in either if he had focused on one, in my opinion, and had some great years with the Cardinals. Three of them, as as I see here, had a great year, two great years with Atlanta after that. And I'm with you, Dennis. I It amazes me to sit here and see that he, I mean, albeit in limited plate appearances and in limited time, I assume because of injuries without going back to do the research, but it kind of surprised not kind of, it really does surprise me that he hung on as long as he did, you know, was still playing in 06. So well, I think he really was still a, a great defensive replacement later in his career. And that's sort of what allowed him to stick around and share and that sort of thing. But I can't help but wonder if you look at the last four years of his career, how much playing football took a toll on his body. Oh, sure. And had he not played all those years in football, would he have had more productive years you know, ages 36 through 39. Right. Um, if so, maybe we're having a completely different discussion about Brian Jordan. Definitely. And, and, you know, certainly, again, we can speculate and wonder all we want, but, uh, you know, even if he's not playing football, maybe he's not a corner outfielder either because they don't have to worry about that wear and tear. Maybe he's playing center field. You know, as I recall, he was – at least average at covering ground and and certainly again that athleticism that he had made up for a lot of deficiencies reading balls etc but anyways like I said my point was and I talked about this with Will Leach a little bit on the last episode that he's a guy that certainly one of those and, and I think it was Andrew that mentioned this that when these names come up again you do take that second look and it it's like wow you know this guy had a really good you know, four, five, six, seven years in the middle of his career that you wonder, again, like Dennis said, that particularly in this case, had he not played football, what he could have been. So um, I think we all agree, no Hall of Fame for Brian Jordan, but uh, but a good name to look back at and, and appreciate that he's a pretty good ball player. Well, he, you know, he does make my Hall of Famer for Cardinals um, who could have been bouncers. <laughs> A scary. There, there were a few years where you know he shared the outfield with uh, Ron Gant, and I I just figured if there was a bench clearing brawl, those two would be the last men standing. I think there's little doubt about that. Moving right along, next name on the list, we'll start with Andrew, Phil Nevin. Oh, Phil Nevin. I mean, the thing that comes to mind with him is I believe that he was the first overall pick of his draft. Let's see, yeah, in uh, 1992, uh, the Astros took him first overall and uh, really never worked out. He ended up having a few uh, pretty good years with the Padres there in the middle of his career. But outside of about three seasons, three or four seasons, he really didn't do too much. I don't know. 
who else was available in that 92 draft, but oh, uh, Derek Jeter was, actually. So uh, Derek Jeter was taking sixth that year, so there clearly were uh, some better choices the uh, Astros could have made there. But uh, I would say Phil Nevin is uh, pretty far below Hall of Fame level. One no vote, and if I'm not mistaken, I didn't the Cardinals sign this guy to a minor league deal towards the end of his career? Uh, I feel like they might have. Anyways, I'm not not that it has any bearing on the discussion, other than relating to uh, our site. At any rate, um, Dennis, Phil Nevin, in or out? I'm gonna have to go without. And I agree with Andrew, you know, Phil had a great three years. And unfortunately, that's really all he had. I mean, those three years account for about 90% of his total war for his career. So he did a lot of nothing, maybe, for the, for the last uh, seven or eight years of his career. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, that's a great gig. I'd, I'd love to be able to work that out. <laughs> um, but it, it's just not going to happen. And, and I don't see him as... Uh, as making it, I mean, when you're when baseball ref has your similarity score um, up there, right next to Preston Wilson, uh, Jason Bay, uh, that pretty much tells you you're not going to make the Hall of Fame unless you're visiting. All right, Josh, anything to add with on Phil Nevin? I used to work out in Southern California, where he is still regarded as a as a great ball player. Unfortunately, that might have been where he peaked was before he was drafted first overall. So I can't recall if the Cardinals did sign him to a minor league deal. And, you know, I know some injuries kind of derailed maybe what he could have been, but probably more than anything else, just a cautionary tale of, uh, you know, when you look back at the drafts and then who gets taken in the top couple of spots and, you know, you can always second guess is, we tend to do, especially with Cardinals drafts, but yeah, definitely not a Hall of Famer, but uh, a, a guy I watched closely, just, I don't know exactly why, just uh, I think one of those guys that because of where he went to school, I always kind of look, it seems like they produce quite a few major leaguers, it's just whether or not they deserve to go as high if they're that good of a ball player or just that name that was on their jersey in college so are you voting for him, yes or no? That was a no. You are still prone to the longest no's I've ever heard. I try. I do my best. With that said, we'll move on to the next name on the list. As of yet, we have we have yet to, to find a player who warrants a vote, and I don't think that's going to change with the next name on the list. And I'm just going to let Dennis speak for all four of us regarding Tony Womack. I've been really working hard to find something positive to say about Tony Womack. Uh, and I did find something. Uh, I think his best year of his career was uh, was probably 2004. And he just happened to be playing for the Cardinals in his age 34 season. Um, and that's really where it ends. Um, you know, you can't take someone who's, right around zero or one war in 13 season and even put him on the ballot. That's just unconscionable. It just really makes me wonder how the selection committee thing works, um, whether it's ping pong balls in a lotto machine 
or a bunch of drunk people playing darts with names on the wall. Um, I assume it's probably the latter. Tony Womack does not deserve to be on the ballot. He does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I wouldn't trust the guy to run a 7-Eleven in a nice neighborhood. Just no, heck no, hell no, no. Should he even get a single vote? And I will personally make it my mission in life to search out whoever votes for Tony Womack and either punch them in the throat or just step on their soul and grind it into the ground until they can't move. All right, so so some pent-up aggression uh, about a 1.2 war uh, career player that uh, I think we all agree is a no. Moving right along, um, maybe Dennis has some positive things to say about Tim Salmon. Uh, I feel better now. Just had to get that out. Um, I, I don't have as much positive to say about Tim Salmon as I thought I would. Yeah. He he did put up some decent seasons, uh, but they're kind of spread out instead of concentrated. So I would say he had a, a really good career, but I wouldn't classify it as great. And I, I could see him as being someone who hangs around the ballot for a few years, garnering, you know, 8 to 12% of the vote for maybe – four or five years, and then dropping off eventually if he can get that far. But I just don't think he he was what you would consider a dominant player or, um, you know, the kind of guy you would center a lineup around for very long necessarily. So um, Hall of very good, definitely not the Hall of Fame for me. All right. Andrew, thoughts on Tim Salmon? Yeah, I, I... – I'm pretty much on the same uh, wavelength there. A very good player throughout his career. 37.6 war for his career. I think one of the interesting things about Tim Salmon is he's probably, if not the best, one of the best players to never make an all-star team. Um, Which, when you look at his career numbers, even though he's clearly not a Hall of Famer, you really would have thought that at some somewhere along the line he would have made um, an all-star team. In 1995, he hit 330 with uh, 34 home runs and uh, didn't make it that year. So Finished seventh in the uh, MVP balloting, but he's not an all-star. Yeah, I, I don't know if he maybe got off to a slow start that year or it was just, uh, just stacked. Uh, the American League was stacked with outfielders or, or what the deal was, but... So, I mean, definitely a player who, you know, deserves some uh, recognition, but uh, clearly a notch below Hall of Fame level. It's interesting just because I'm overly curious about these sorts of things. In 1995, Salmon hit 364 in the second half of the season. Wow. Yeah, an OPS of... uh, 1,086 for the second half. So maybe that had something to do with it, but wow, still a great season nonetheless. Tim Salmon. Uh, No. If you give him uh, some Brian Jordan qualities uh, to be able to play the outfield and uh, maybe make him a little bit durable, it would probably be a different conversation. But like Dennis said, he'll get some votes just maybe strictly for that 95 season. He'll, He'll... garner some attention uh, maybe 
whoever we've talked about as first timers, he might be one of the better vote getters out of the group so far, but not a Hall of Famer. So yet to have a yes vote. We'll move on to the next one, and and with this name, I'm just going to. Uh, if anyone wants to vote yes, or uh, has anything <laughs> in particular to say about Jeremy Burnett, speak up. Otherwise, we're moving on to the next name. Uh, the only thing that comes to mind, I don't know if you guys uh, saw the story that came out a couple days ago about him, about the prank he used to pull uh, on some of his teammates. But uh, there is an article, uh, I think in the, one of the Boston papers, maybe, um, about how he used to empty out the shampoo bottles uh, in the locker room showers and then fill them with his urine uh, and leave them for his teammates. So, not a Hall of Famer, but I guess uh, a good prankster. That's like the Hall of Nasty. <laughs> yeah, hall, hall of shame. Thank you for that. <laughs> Moving right along from urine shampoo. Uh, yeah. Now we start to get into some names that you know. Again, I think maybe I'm still not confident we'll get a vote for them. Uh, but uh, another guy who uh, longevity, I think, is a big part of his candidacy. Ruben Sierra, Andrew. He did play for a long time, but he really didn't have much in the way of uh, of a peak or anything like that. I think he had a couple of, of real good years early on uh, in his career. Uh, 1989, and uh, 1991, he had a couple of great years. And then after that, I mean, he, he basically just hung around as kind of a a mediocre, you know, part-time player, bench player, uh, all the way until 2006. So he spent a lot more time as kind of a, of a you know, mediocre player than he did as, as a good player. So uh, definitely no on him. Dennis, we'll let you go next on Ruben Sierra. Some of his numbers are absolutely shocking. I mean, the guy actually, uh, I'm amazed that he lasted as long as he did. He's sort of like the Jamie Moyer of hitters. 0.2 war in 1994 was his last positive war season, and he kept playing until 2006. 94 to 2006, that's a long time to be not even mediocre. That's Tyler Green type performance right there. Uh, but yet he made an awful lot of money doing it. So maybe there's hope for Tyler Green. But this is definitely a, uh, a no. Two no's to Josh, Ruben Sierra. Make it three no's, Nick. I I just, uh, one of the reasons why I prefer National League ball to American League ball is it seems like there's more guys anymore that uh, I guess you can kind of fit into the designated hitter role that just make their career longer than they should be. All right. Well, I'm certainly not going to vote for him if nobody else is. So moving right along, guy that spent a lot of years with those great, albeit not a lot of World Series championship Atlanta Braves teams, Javi Lopez, 
Dennis, we'll start with you. Well, I really like Javi Lopez. Always have, probably always will. Uh, love the work that he did behind the plate. Appreciated um, pretty much everything about the guy. But that said, no. He just he didn't even manage two war per season on average. Um, he didn't do anything spectacular in the playoffs. So I just have to go with a no. Josh, Javi Lopez? Yeah, I'm with Dennis. I'm, I think the, the thing that surprised me about him, I, I always kind of liked him, but I was surprised how fast the descent was, and he just kind of fell off. And after the Atlanta years, we rarely ever heard from him, and that makes me respect you know, the longevity of uh, some of the current catchers that are able to stay productive in uh, the work they do behind the plate, but they are not a Hall of Famer. Andrew, Javi Lopez. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the funny thing about him is that, you know, as a catcher, you wouldn't expect this, but, I mean, he had his two best seasons at ages 32 and 33, I believe. Uh, 6.6 and 4.5 war those two years. Um, hit 43 home runs in 2003 for the Braves. So uh, I'm not sure, you know, what the uh, explanation was for that, but you wouldn't expect that for anyone, much less a catcher. And uh, the other thing that just sticks out in my mind about Javi Lopez is the fact that when he was with the Braves, uh, you know, Greg Maddox never wanted to pitch to him. (laughs) Um, He was always, you know, he always had his personal catcher, uh, whether it was like, you know, Charlie O'Brien or um, Paul Baca or someone like that. Um, so definitely definitely not known for his defense. Pretty good hitter for a catcher, but not nearly a good enough hitter to be Hall of Fame caliber. Yeah, I, even with the positional adjustment, it's really hard for a catcher to get into the Hall of Fame. Still not enough for Javi Lopez uh, for me either. Interesting case, maybe, maybe not. One of the two names on the ballot that will be discussed in terms of, shall I say, Coors Field. We've got Vinny Castilla. Andrew, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, and we'll, I, I think we'll uh, end up probably talking more about this uh, later on when it comes to Larry Walker, but when you're talking about guys who played their games in Coors Field, you know, in the 90s into the early 2000s before the humidifier or the uh, humidor, it's definitely a little difficult. I mean, but that's the great thing about having statistics like, say, an OPS Plus that'll adjust uh, for ballpark. And when you look at those numbers, you know, Castilla is not that impressive. I mean, his career high OPS plus was 127. Most years he was only about 10% better than league average. So if you look at just his his unadjusted stats, they look pretty uh, pretty good. But once you figure in course field, it becomes a lot less impressive. Uh, only 16.4 WAR for his career, so I think he's he's well below uh, the threshold. All right, Josh Vinny Castilla. 
another no vote, fun player to watch uh, with some of those Colorado teams, but uh, not not gonna not gonna do it as all of them. And Dennis, yeah, definitely a no vote here. I don't really see any of the numbers that would give him any hope of making Hall of Fame. I mean, besides OPS plus and WAR, um, he was a good defender. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's not going to be enough to uh, even keep him on the ballot. Probably. Uh, for me, it boils down real simply to this, and, and I think maybe he may be one of the most extreme examples of the effect that Coors Field had in its early days. His career splits home 295, 339, 518 slash line for an 857 OPS. 257, 303, 435 for a 738 OPS away. And then to apply it most directly, uh, he played with Colorado through the 1999 season uh, when he hit 33 home runs, 102 RBIs. In 2000, he had an injury plagued season with Tampa Bay. Uh, Then 2001, with Tampa Bay and Houston, 25 home runs, 90 RBIs, a 260 average. 2001 with Houston, 23 home runs, 82 RBIs, 270. Full seasons in Atlanta. These are full seasons, and I know it doesn't sound like it. 12 home runs, 61 RBIs, and a 232 batting average. Um, at age 35 season in Atlanta, 22 home runs, 76 RBIs, 277 batting average. Then he goes back to Colorado for a year in 2004, his age 36 season. He hits 35 home runs and 131 RBIs, 43 doubles. Artificially inflated, I would say. So that's four no's on Vinny Castilla. The most interesting player on the ballot for the first time this season, and Josh, we'll start with you, the former Yankee, Bernie Williams. I think he's going to be an interesting case. I, I personally, towards the end of his career, I, uh, some of the, you know, whether it's just New York media or if it's a lot of the fact that he wanted to go out a certain way, I, I have a hard time thinking he's going to make it into the Hall of Fame, but I definitely think what you said hits it on the head. The most interesting candidate, the one to talk to, with the whole body of work. Uh, as far as the individual player, he was part of some great teams, but I don't think stats-wise he is going to have enough to make him the whole thing. Nope. Thank you for clarifying there at the end. One no vote, You're one no vote from Josh and uh, Dennis. Bernie Williams. Bernie's my first yes. Quite honestly, I obviously don't think he'll make it in um, the first year, probably not the second, but I think he's got a really, really solid shot. Um, 16 seasons, uh, nine of which, you know, the core of his career, uh, when he was at his prime, were all really, really good. And a couple seasons leading into that prime were still decent as well. So we're talking about someone who did sustain excellence for a long period of time. And even as he finished his career, um, he was more than 
you know, a passable player. He was not bench fodder at age 37, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, finished his career with a 125 OPS plus. Um, I'm, I'm slightly surprised by that. And, of course, um, had a lot of big hits, big numbers in the postseason, uh, including some records, 80 RBI or something like that. So um, I think that will take into account um, so I think he's I think he's in at some point. We have our first yes vote, so let's see what uh, Andrew has to say on Bernie Williams. I think he definitely has the best case uh, out of any of the first year guys. He'd really be the only one that I would I would seriously think about. But I come down on the no side, and I mean what it comes down to for me if. If Bernie Williams had been a legitimate center fielder, I think that might have pushed him into yes for me. But despite the fact that he won four gold gloves, um, I think most people, most you know, close observers, recognize the fact that he was pretty overrated defensively. And if you look at his numbers... Uh, baseball reference has him at minus 12, uh, uh, minus 12 war defensively for his career, which really pushes down his overall number because offensively, uh, for a center fielder, he was a great offensive player for several years. But factoring in uh, defense, I think he falls a bit short for me. I tend to agree with Andrew, and I do my best to let my anti-Yankee bias stay out of this, but I I feel like he certainly was a very, very good player, and and I think his, as Andrew said, his numbers get propped up a little bit because of the position he played, but he still wasn't very good at that position defensively. Um, I think there is some definite career Yankee mystique that plays into uh, the way that the voters look at Bernie Williams and certainly by all accounts, a a great guy, you know, there was some dispute at the end because he wanted to keep playing and and there was talk about what he had left in the tank, but a a great guy on the field and off um, by, by most all accounts that I've read. Unfortunately that didn't make him hit any more home runs or, or doubles or, take any more walks. Um, I think he was a very, very good player and and one that uh, falls into the category of, uh, for me, I'm not going to be upset if he does get in, but I don't think I'm going to be one that votes for him. So with that, that's three no's and, and one yes for Bernie Williams and means that our ballot will not be inducting anyone that is on the ballot for the first time in 2012. We will take a quick break, just a couple minutes. You can listen to our musical guest, Stoffma. When we come back, we're going to talk about the players remaining from previous ballots and uh, see who the Pitchers Hit 8th team will elect to the 2012 Hall of Fame as if our input matters. We'll be right back.
We're back. We're here. We're going to finish talking Hall of Fame ballot, and we have proceeded now into the uh, the holdovers, I, I guess you'd call them, if you will, the uh, the players remaining on the ballot after last year's voting. Uh, and for lack of a better way to go, we'll just start with the player who received the smallest percentage of last year's vote, and we'll start with Andrew. Juan Gonzalez. Yeah, uh, Juan Gonzalez. I mean, big time, uh, big time hitter, big time run producer. I think that's probably the thing people remember most. Uh, I mean, if you look, uh, 1996 through 2001. I mean, 144 RBIs, 131, 157, 128. Uh, one down season and then 140. But uh, I think when you look at the uh, overall offensive package relative to the era that he played in, and when you consider the fact that he, you know, was kind of a negative uh, defender in the outfield, it drops him below uh, where I'm looking at as a Hall of Famer. All right, Dennis, Juan Gonzalez. Yeah, Juan, Juan Gonzalez is kind of a, a tough one for me because I remember him as a serious power threat, a serious RBI guy who could just put up numbers at will, it seemed. But when I look at his whole career, uh, you know, baseball ref has him at 33.5 war for 17 seasons. Um, quite honestly, one of the rules of thumb I use when looking at potential Hall of Fame candidates is did they average somewhere in the neighborhood of three war per season, uh, either for their career or for uh, the bulk of their careers, and he falls short of both. So um, while I'll always remember him as a, as a good hitter, he probably would have uh, done really well had he not had to play defense. So he gets a no. And Josh, Juan Gonzalez. If he was just a designated hitter, yes. But because, like the other two have said, when you got to factor in the other side of it, he's a no. Four seasons uh, in Juan Gonzalez's career, he cost his team a win plus on defense, and three other seasons, almost a win, according to baseball reference. And he was still just a masher, just crushed balls and, and put up some huge counting stats um, through uh, a lot of injury-plagued seasons and, um, you know, still, even with 434 home runs, uh, you know, I'm with you guys in that when I think of Juan Gonzalez, I think, yeah, he was really, really good. He won two MVP awards, for crying out loud, but... uh he still just doesn't strike me as one of the best ever um, at what he did. Um, I look at him and I wonder, is Vladimir Guerrero going to be in the Hall of Fame? And I, my answer to both is is no. And whenever I can group together players like that and say, yeah, they were all, you know, here's five guys who all did the same thing. Does that make any one of them a Hall of Famer? I don't really think so. So, Four four no's for Juan Gonzalez. Great career, um, really great hitter. 
no Hall of Fame. The next player on the ballot um, with 11% of the vote from last season and a guy who's, for better or worse, become one of the uh, arguing points, I guess you could say, for several issues that... Um, you know, I'll let you guys address if you want to. Rafael Palmero, and we'll start with Dennis. Yeah, obviously, going the issues you're referring to, we're talking about steroid era, and um, as far as I'm concerned, he's potentially one of the poster boys for that. Um, but at the same time, my attitude is to say, in for a penny, in for a pound. So there's no way to stop, start, delineate, um, create a line of demarcation, so to speak, uh, about when the air really began and, and who was using and how much it helped and all that. Uh, maybe, you know, 75% of the guys were using, and Palmero just happened to be one of the guys who was better than most at using. At this point, I don't really care. Uh, 3,020 hits, 569 home runs, um, 132 OPS plus, uh, for his career, 66 war, 20 seasons. Like I mentioned earlier, that that beats my uh, rule of thumb of three war per season. I, I definitely think he deserves in. Uh, maybe subtract a few points here and there and, and several votes for the mustache. But yes. <laughs> so the mustache isn't enough to keep him out, though. Well, I mean, there, I'm sure there are some people out there with with a porn stash bias who will definitely uh, vote against him just for that reason alone. I mean, it's probably the same people who will vote for Tony Womack, but, you know, that will be taken care of soon enough. So I don't think it should be an issue long-term for uh, for Palmero. Well, that's good news. Andrew, Rafael Palmero. Yeah, um, I have kind of the, pretty much the same philosophy when it comes to PEDs. Um, I, I just think that we don't, we don't know for sure who – you know, there's people who nobody thinks used who probably did, and there's people who, you know, most think did use who probably didn't, and I just think that we can't make any judgments, so the safest thing to do is to just not uh, factor that in. So when I look at Palmero, I'm just looking at his performance, and it, it's very close. I mean, he's He's probably the toughest case uh, for me, but he fell just just below for me. Um, he put up, you know, pretty impressive uh, counting stats in his career. I just think his peak wasn't quite good enough in my mind to qualify him. And I always look at, you know, the career in combination with the peak. And I just don't think he was ever one of the best few hitters in baseball for even a few years uh, at any point. And that's kind of one of my criteria. So for that reason, um, I would say if he does make it, I, I wouldn't be too upset. But personally, I would vote no. All right, Josh, we've got a yes and a no on Palmero. What, what say you? For me, he's a guy that I, I actually, when he stopped playing before all the the Congress stuff and everything that happened, that regardless of what we talked about, if it 
people's perspective. I thought he would have been in already, uh, given the body of work for for him. He's he's my first yes. I enjoyed watching him play, and I would be surprised if he uh, maybe not this year, but for me, he's definitely a yes. I'll admit uh, that I had a bit of a, a watershed type of moment, if if you will, regarding Palmero. Um, and he was not on my ballot last year and McGuire was, um, and, and I bring that name up specifically, obviously, because those are the two names most directly and most, um, well, proven, I guess, uh, either by testing or admission to be associated with the steroid era of baseball. And for the longest time, I held the opinion that Palmero was a jerk because he did it and lied about it. McGuire was okay because he admitted it was contrite. And that was my personal barometer for how I was going to deal with these situations. And I read a great piece by Jim Capel last year, and I don't have the quote in front of me right now, but... Basically, just said, "Who are are we to judge these people?" And I understand that the Hall of Fame voting guidelines include a, a clause about character and etc. Um, but there are drug abusers and rapists and tax cheats and racists and the litany of things go on and on other players already in the Hall of Fame. Ty Cobb was not a good person <laughs> by pretty much any account. He's in the Hall of Fame. Nobody's going to take him out. Nobody's nobody's getting self-righteous about whether or not he deserves to be in. So for me, uh, reading that piece by Capel last year, and, and I know uh, I, I'd probably take some flack on Twitter for uh, admitting that all of this entered my train of thought, but uh, at the same time, um, I like to believe that I've kind of come around on the issue, and um, so this year, I, I am voting for Palmero, uh, just on the basis of his numbers, 3,000 hits, 560 plus home runs, um, he's one of the guys where, you know, we talk about longevity with no real production being kind of a, uh, a a downside for other players. Well, longevity and putting up counting numbers for Palmero does it for me. So that's three votes for Palmero uh, and the first player that uh, will reach the consensus pitchers hit eighth ballot. Um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys want uh, uh, some rebuttal time to ridicule me and my stance, but uh, if not, we'll move right along. I'm just curious as to where you stand on the mustache issue. Uh, you know, the mustache <laughs> issue, like you said, I think it's going to resolve itself. So I can take it or leave it. The mustache is outweighed by 3,000 plus hits for me. I'm still a sucker. I, I, I'm still prone to being a sucker for, for counting numbers when you start getting to that rarefied air. Does that sufficiently answer That's your fair. question? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. 
The next player on the ballot with 12.6% of the vote from last season uh, in his 14th year on the ballot. So it's this year and next for Dale Murphy, Andrew. Um, this is a guy who I have to admit I wasn't real familiar with. Um, his, his playing days were a little bit before my time, and he wasn't a guy who really was talked about much. And so uh, when I went to look at his case, it was pretty much doing it with a blank slate. Um, he, he's one of those guys who had who had a great peak, and then basically once he turned 30, um, just completely fell off a cliff. So, uh, you know, if, if you're one of those people who really emphasizes peak over career, I think you could make a case for him. Uh, he won back-to-back MVP awards in 82 and 83. Uh, he was a great hitter. Um but I just think that the peak wasn't quite long enough um, to compensate for the fact that he really didn't do anything after he turned uh, 32. So uh, I think for me, it falls a little bit short. One no for Dale Murphy. And Josh, your thoughts? Unfortunately, as as good a ball player as Dale Murphy was and – and he definitely has his group that fiercely backs him. I think he's a guy that ultimately is a no vote for me and is probably going to have to end up trying to get in on the way that Ron Santo did this year. So a no vote. Dennis, the final thoughts on uh, Dale Murphy. Yeah, I think I have to agree with everyone else here. Um, especially Andrew's point about his peak not being long enough. I, I think really when it comes to Hall of Fame case, Dale Murphy did himself a real disservice by playing out those last uh, three or four years of his career and accomplishing almost nothing except picking up a paycheck. Um, if you shorten his career down to maybe 14 seasons, uh, he's got a very uh, compelling case, in my opinion, but you stretch those numbers out a little bit more and he doesn't look quite as good, um, especially with, with 44.2 war in 18 seasons. Um, you know, he really cost himself some, you know, stat counting numbers uh, from 90 to 93. So I'm going to have to go with no. And, um, and maybe he is a good candidate to go the Ron Santo route minus the whole posthumous induction thing. Uh, real plain and simple for me, I agree with most everything you guys have said that Murphy was a guy that I really liked as a kid growing up, really liked, enjoyed watching him play. I thought he was a, gosh, I'm really digging myself holes here, but a guy who quote unquote played the game the right way, you know, hustle, always, uh, you know, always hustling, always doing what guys who play the game the right way do this is really boy this is awful at any rate um dale murphy for me (laughs) is a guy who uh you know again hollow very good i think that uh he was a good player had a had a uh 
a solid several years, but uh, not one of the greatest ever, um, period, or at his position, I think. Um, so moving right along, no votes for Dale Murphy. The next player on the ballot, and one that uh, Andrew might have some some uh, more specific thoughts on than the rest of us, uh, Don Mattingly. Mattingly, I think, has, has kind of a similar situation to Murphy uh, in that he had kind of a, a brilliant but short peak and then flamed out. I know he had some, some injury issues. Uh, from 84 through 87, so that's uh, four years he averaged more than six war per year. But, uh, you know, he, he got hurt and, and really wasn't the same player towards the end. So I just think that, you know, as a total package, he's uh, not quite Hall of Fame caliber, although I did read uh, – read something recently and I, I can't remember who wrote it but the person made the point that you know he's managing the Dodgers now and you know who knows I mean if he if he puts in several good years as a manager you never know how that could end up factoring in down the road interesting points and certainly a guy who is young enough that I think that if he puts in several years uh, for that matter depending on which team he winds up with or, or what players he winds up with, could go in as a manager down the road. Never know. But for me as a player, doesn't make the cut. Dennis, what do you think? I think he's Dale Murphy without those lousy four seasons tacked on me at the end of his career. Uh, and But he doesn't have the, uh, the sustained peak that's quite good enough to uh, to get the job done for him. So I, I agree that quite possibly his managerial career um, could get him to the hall another way, but I don't think he'll make it as a player. Josh, your thoughts, Don Mattingly. Same uh, as the other three. Uh, had a good, very good couple of seasons, but when you look at players from his era, he's he doesn't to me, get consideration as one of the greatest, so a no vote. So no votes for Don Mattingly, and we'll move right along to the next player on the list, garnering 17.9% of last season's Hall of Fame vote, Fred McGriff, Josh. You know, uh, McGriff is is an interesting case. Uh, When you look at, for me, there's a lot of parallels on some of the stats, you know, some of the, what you guys are calling the the big-time numbers, the, you know, uh, I like him as a, as a ball player. He hit it on the head with Murphy. I think he played the game the right way, and he was able to do it in multiple uniforms. But I, to me, I think he falls just a little bit short because of the fact that he – Again, when you look at the Hall of Fame, you look at the, the greatest ball players from their era, and, and unfortunately, McGriff falls just a bit short. He's a no vote. One no for Fred McGriff. Dennis? I think I'll give a second no. I mean, he had a lot of uh, good years, he had longevity, 
but he didn't have very many years where he was a real force, I would say. Maybe two or three years above 5.0 in war. Uh, that just doesn't get it done in my book. Two no's on McGriff to Andrew. Uh, well, I got to start out by saying I, I do have a little bit of a, of a soft spot for McGriff. Uh, Those if, if any of you guys uh, dang Tommy Mansky videos. Uh, yeah, I, I was just going to say that if any of you follow me on on Twitter, you might know that uh, McGriff is is my avatar. So uh, from his uh, from his Tommy Mansky videos, which I I always loved. Um, yeah, that's but, really confusing because uh, I thought that was actually you, Andrew. <laughs> I wish I was that handsome. <laughs> but uh no, I mean with with all that being said, I, I think he falls a little short for me. I he's kind of in the same boat as uh Palmero, but without having quite the same uh, you know, counting stats for his career, he fell a little bit short of five hundred homers. Um, he's about 500 hits short of 3,000. So, and and like uh, Palmero, I don't think he was ever kind of that dominant player. Uh, he had some very good years uh, early in his career, kind of before uh, offense around the league took off. But uh, nonetheless, I think he's uh, a little bit short for me. Uh, I'm on the same side as you guys. Uh, you know, another guy, really great career. Again, longevity this time in his favor, I think. A uh, couple of down years there at the end. It's a perfect case for where do you draw the line with some of these guys in terms of counting stats. Um, if he had 10 more hits and 7 more home runs to get to 2,500 hits and 500 home runs, are people looking at him differently? Um, you know, I don't know. I think with the advent of number one, as years go on and more and more guys hit those milestones, they're not all going to get in, I don't think. And number two, again, with the advent of some sabermetric stats and, and things that take a little bit deeper look into what was he really as a hitter beyond just the home runs, you know, maybe that's keeping some of these guys out too. But for me, again, Hall of Very Good, not sure he was ever – one of the best first basemen in the league, uh, much less all time. So no votes on McGriff. And now we come to the other elephant in the room. Andrew, let's start with you on Mark McGuire. McGuire is, is going to be my first yes. Um, the thing for me that that separates him from a guy like Palmero is that Clearly, and I, I don't think anyone would dispute the fact that, I mean, McGuire was obviously a dominant, dominant player at times, in, you know, in his career, was one of the best hitters in baseball for some of his career, and of course put up the 583 home runs. So that combined with the fact that, you know, like I already said, I, I'm not going to, uh, hold the PED factor against him or anyone else, I have to go yes on Big Mac. One yes vote for McGuire. Josh? Uh, you can make it two yes votes. 
Uh, what I'm going to be curious to see is if there's any change in how people perceive him after what the Cardinals offense did this year and, and how much of a effect Big Mac had in that. If uh, everything that he said over his career in the game uh, about the way that he approached it, if that changes anybody's opinion, like you said, the big elephant in the room, Nick. So one of the greatest, that's kind of how I vote, is if, if he's a guy, when you look back at his era, if if he is one of those guys, and, and Mark McGuire definitely is, so two yeses to go. Two yes votes for McGuire Dennis. Definitely a yes vote for me. Uh, I think the increase in visibility with McGuire working as a hitting coach uh, for the reigning World Series champions now will um, probably help his case a little bit, mostly because uh, he has a greater level of interaction with the media, certainly than he did when he was um, just kind of holed up in his mansion. So I think that will help him a lot with voters. And the way he's handled the accusations, the use and all that, I don't think that really hurts his cause a whole lot at this point. Uh, I just don't think you can ignore a 162 career OPS plus or the fact that uh, with the exception of his age 22 season, when he only had like 58 play appearances, every other season he put up a positive war value. Um, and then there's the 583 home runs, the 1,300-plus walks. So you're talking about a guy who had a pretty good batting eye and um, I don't know that PED use can really help the batting eye, per se. Uh, maybe it can, but it's certainly not helping everyone. Um, and then the last thing I look at is, you know, something like 63.1 war in 16 seasons. I mean, that's just short of four per season. Um, that's well over my rule of thumb, three per season. So I think he's, he definitely deserves to be in. I voted for McGuire last season and will again. Again, the numbers are there, as, as you guys have all pointed out. And uh, I think it's unfortunate that there is a uh, – and, and speaking as someone who applied a bit of a moral high horse, uh, as I explained earlier with Palmero, I, I think it's unfortunate that there are people using the character clause to keep him from – to keep Mark McGuire from um, joining such – uh, illustrious amphetamine abusers as as he'd be alongside in the Hall of Fame. So anyways, um, four votes for McGuire. McGuire's in. We now have uh, Rafael Palmero and Mark McGuire um, going into the 2012 Pitchers Hit 8th Wing of the Hall of Fame. Uh, the next hitter, another one who uh, may require some discussion, Larry Walker, Andrew. Larry Walker was probably the guy, maybe outside of Palmero, that I, I really struggled with the most. I, I kind of went back and forth on it. I mean, the things that are that are kind of working against him, I, he didn't have a real, you know, long career, and he, he had some injury issues, and as a result, his counting stats aren't huge. I mean, 383 home runs, 2,160 hits. He did have some huge numbers, which, of course, were, were helped out by Coors Field. You look in his career, he hit 
381 batting average, 562 on base percentage, 710 slugging percentage at course field, which is just, I mean, that's, that's absolutely insane. Um, even when you look at, you know, an OPS plus stat that's, that accounts for that, he still had some great seasons, uh, 178 OPS plus in 1997 when he won the MVP, 158 the year after that, 163 the year after that, uh, 67.3 wins above replacement for his career. A great player who, especially when he was young, could really do everything. He could play the outfield, he could run, he could hit for power, he could hit for average. But when I, I really just thought about the whole package, um, I just felt like factoring in course field and, and looking at his all of his accomplishments, I just thought that the, the total career numbers weren't quite high enough for me. So I got to vote no with, with uh, definitely a tip of the cap to him for his last couple of years with the Cardinals. One no for Larry Walker. Dennis, your thoughts? Larry Walker's kind of like the on the bubble for me, I guess. Yeah, you know, I look at the that 400 OBP for his career, and I think, yeah, of course helped out a lot. But at the same time, he had a 384 OBP in his last season in St. Louis. So the guy could could always hit. Um, he had a good batting eye. You know, OPS plus is park adjusted. 140 for his career is more than respectable. Yeah, there were some injury issues for him, and that probably hurts a lot. Because if he'd reached, you know, 400 home runs, maybe another, you know, 140, 200 hits, that would make a difference for a lot of people. But to me, what it comes down to is he was a really, really good defender, a plus defender uh, for most of his career and was a good hitter. So he, he brought a lot to the table. And for me, he's he's a yes vote, but I won't cry if he doesn't make it in. One yes, one no, Josh. Larry Walker. Larry Walker falls just short in the, the, the whole big picture for me. Another case where the health towards the end of his career doesn't, doesn't help his case. And I actually wonder if if he, unfortunately, getting with Colorado didn't hurt his case more than help it. I mean, I understand that the video game numbers and stuff like that, but he's a guy that could hit anywhere, as he proved in St. Louis and very early in his career. So I like Larry Walker as a ball player, and I, I'm in the, I'm just the opposite. He's a no vote for me, but if he makes it in, that's okay by me. I voted for Larry Walker last year, and I'm going to do so again this year. Again, we look at the OPS plus 140. That's park adjusted. So you look at OPS plus for a guy like Vinny Castilla, who was the other the other player on this ballot that we discussed in terms of what did Colorado do for him. His career OPS plus is 95. Larry Walker was a really good hitter, a plus defender. He was a plus base runner, as Andrew mentioned when he was younger. Larry Walker's in for me. So looks like we've got a split there. We'll have to have a battle royal at the end to determine whether he gets the uh, the site's consensus vote or not. Uh, next player on the ballot with 
of last year's vote from the uh, BBWAA, Andrew Allen Trammell. With Trammell, uh, I know that we're going to get to Barry Larkin uh, later on, but uh, for me, I, I kind of can't help but look at them together. And while I think there's a good chance Larkin is going to go in this year, uh, it'd be pretty surprising if Trammell did, which just bothers me because I think when you look at the two of them together, it's it's really hard to come up with any real discernible difference. Trammell had 66.9 war for his career, Larkin 68.9. They played about the same length of time. Larkin had six more points of OPS plus. Trammell was a better defensive shortstop for his career. If you look at their five best seasons by war, Trammell's were better. So I, I just think, I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure why Trammell is, is so underrated. And for that matter, why his, his double play partner, uh, Lou Whitaker, um, fell off the ballot in one year a while back. But uh, for me, Al, Alan Trammell's a Hall of Famer. All right, one vote for Trammell. Dennis? Uh, Trammell's, I think, my toughest call on, on the entire ballot, actually. Um, I do think of, of him as being maybe a top 10 defensive shortstop, maybe even top 15 overall in the game, the ones I can think of anyway. So just based on that, that's sort of the, you know, off the top of my head call. I think he deserves to get in. Um, you know, 66.9 war, 20 seasons. Definitely a case where I think if he doesn't hold on in a, an extra two years, he's got an even stronger Hall of Fame case. But as it is, I think he deserves a lot more support than he's going to get over the next couple of years. Um, but if, if Larkin makes it in this year, I think that helps Trammell's cause down the road, down the road a little bit. So I, I would say yes on Trammell. Two yeses on Alan Trammell to Josh. Very smart ball player. Uh, when I look back at his era, uh, one of the the best who played. And all around, there wasn't really anything that stands out that uh, he didn't do well. So he's a yes vote. And I'm, I'm also curious, as is Andrew, why when you look at Larkin versus Trammell, there seems to be such a discrepancy. So uh, for me, whether or not it happens this year or not, uh, Alan Trammell's a yes. Yeah, I voted for Trammell last year, and I'll do so again. You know, for me, being a Cardinal fan, his case rings really similarly to uh, Ozzy's, in my opinion. Um, obviously, Ozzy was a better defender, but Trammell was no slouch at shortstop, and, uh, and Trammell a, a better hitter. So I think at that premium position, I think we're just finding that it's really tough for guys to get in because they're expected to be great defenders at, when they play the game. But when people are looking back after they played the game, you know the counting numbers aren't necessarily there. And, and I'm not sure why that's so surprising to folks. But at any rate, uh, Trammell gets my vote. So that's another consensus, uh, consensus all four of us putting Trammell in. Uh, so we've got three now, Rafael Palmero, Mark McGuire, and Alan Trammell for the pitcher's hit eighth wing of the Hall of Fame. 
And we're down to the final six names, getting 32.9% of the vote from the baseball writers last year. And uh, another guy who's a bit of a difficult player when you talk about discussing him for the Hall of Fame because he's arguably the first guy to come up that's that's deserving of the discussion whose primary position was designated hitter. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Edgar Martinez? He's a guy that's uh, definitely a tough call. And, of course, the big question with him is, you know, the DH question. Uh, he spent most of his career as, as a DH. For me, what I look at is, I mean, from 1995 through 2001, he had a 150 or better OPS plus every year. He was sixth in war during that time second in baseball during that time with a 446 on base percentage. I mean, this was a great, great, great hitter. And for me, that overcomes the fact that he was a DH. Because uh, the other thing you have to remember is, you know, there's guys who played the field their whole careers because they were in the National League or played before the DH came in and were basically terrible defenders. And, And that never you know, gets held against them. So I don't see why not playing a defensive position is considered worse than playing one poorly. Excellent points. Um, Josh, Edgar Martinez in or out? This was my toughest vote, uh, mainly just because of the fact that not so much the, the designated hitter question, but when I when I look at the great hitters and, you know, Larry Walker falls into this and a couple of the other guys we've talked about that were just amazing hitters. And I just kind of, it, one of the curious things to me is looking at where they, they end up playing the bulk of their career. And, you know, if uh, Edgar ends up in Colorado and Larry Walker ends up in Yeah, sorry, I had a microphone freak out for a minute there. I thought I lost you guys. Everybody still there? Yeah. Yes. Josh, were you done? Yeah. Okay. And were you yay or nay? That was a yes. Okay, sorry about that, guys. That leaves us with Dennis, Edgar Martinez. You know, I'm actually flip-flopping on Edgar Martinez this year. Um, for Previously, I've had him as a no. Uh, the more I go back and look at his career and, and think about him as a player, the more inclined I am to say yes. Um, and the DH issue is one that I struggled with for quite a while. But looking back on it, yeah, Martinez played probably three full seasons, basically, where he was primarily a third baseman. Yep. And in those three seasons, he put up 5.1, 6.2, 5.9 war, uh, including one season in which he had 1.2 war uh, for his defensive work. So we're talking about a guy who was a really, really good productive player uh, before he came pri- primarily a DH. So with that in mind, I've switched my vote to a yes. And uh, the 67.2 war in 18 seasons has a lot to do with it because what it comes down to is 
Um, did he help his club win? Uh, was he helpful in doing so for a long period of time? He definitely was. He had a long uh, peak. So he gets a yes from me this year. Well, then we've got another consensus vote here. I voted for Martinez last year. I will again this year. For me, the the designated hitter discussion boils down to this is a position. It's a legitimate position in the American League. If you – I know the baseball writers don't make the rules, but was Edgar Martinez one of the best designated hitters during his career? Yes. Is he, by definition – and this is the other thing. How many of these guys who get in on their counting stats padded those numbers toward the end of their career by – being a designated hitter. Nobody takes that into account either. Um, just because that wasn't your primary position doesn't mean that you didn't have numbers there at some stage. So was he one of the best designated hitters during his career? Yes. And by definition of someone being primarily a designated hitter, is he one of the best designated hitters of all time? I'd say also yes. Martinez is in for me. Uh, five names left on the list. This guy got 37.5% of the vote last year and probably is now, uh, with Burt Blylevin being elected, uh, this guy is probably now the uh, hot name for uh, for folks to take up the cause. Tim Raines, Andrew, your thoughts? For me, uh, Tim Raines seemed like, seems like a guy who's criminally uh, underrated as a player. And for me, he's a Hall of Famer, a guy who hit for a high average. He had great on-base skills, uh, 385 career on-base percentage, a little bit of pop, uh, a great base stealer. Not only did he steal over 800 bases, but he was successful almost 85% of the time, uh, which is very efficient. That's a higher percentage than uh, Ricky Henderson stole. And... Um, he was a really great player for about five seasons between uh, 83 and 87. And I've seen this comparison made before um, between Range and Tony Gwynn, which I, I think is interesting. I mean, Gwynn was a no-doubt Hall of Famer, but when you look at their numbers, I mean, they were very similar. On-base percentages were almost identical. Uh, Gwynn had a better, little better uh, OPS plus by nine points. But I don't think that the, uh, the overall gap between them was that big, uh, only four war difference. I think Reigns is, is on that level. So for me, he's a yes. One yes, Dennis, Tim Reigns. Um, he's another bubble guy for me. Uh, I do really take into account the 808 career steals. Comes really close to that three war per season. Uh, the problem I have with Reigns is that he really was just a replacement level player or not even a replacement level player for a long time after his peak ended. Um, so yes, he's got 2,605 career hits, but how many of those were accumulated um, as just pure fluff? Um, I'm not really sure. Good defender. Really good on the bases. Uh, good hitter. Really close for me, 
but he's still a no vote in my book. And, and I think he'll gain um, support by the voters over the next couple of years, and he'll be around that 50, 60% mark. And we'll be looking at him in a couple of years saying, okay, he's the next guy to go. But for me, he's a no vote. All right, Josh, one yes, one no. Tim Raines. Tim Raines is still a no vote for me. It's uh, close, but the, the one thing he did better than, than most is the stolen bases doesn't make up for, as Dennis said, the, the many years that it seemed like he just kind of told away whether it was, you know, I'm sure he still enjoyed playing, but uh, I won't say he was taking the spot of, of somebody else, but when I see some of the guys just kind of hang on, it makes me wonder a little bit. You know, everybody pointed out, you know, Brian Jordan played a lot longer than what people remember. To me, it's the opposite to Tim Raines. I think he hung on when maybe he probably shouldn't have. And I probably shouldn't use that to negatively uh, vote. But, you know, we're allowed to pick as we see fit, and he falls short to me. You know, it's interesting that you guys bring up the, the late career. As late as... 1998, his 30, age 38 season with the Yankees, his final season with the Yankees, he was still a 1.2 war guy, according to baseball reference. I wonder if he hadn't made that 2001-2002 little cup of coffee comeback at ages 41 and 42, whether he might not be viewed differently. He's a yes vote for me. I've got a bit of an unreasonable soft spot for stolen bases in the running game, so that doesn't hurt anything any. But in his prime, and, and even beyond his prime, really, because and I think because it's a dying art a bit, um, he was the, you know, him, Ricky Henderson, there's a handful of guys, they were the preeminent leadoff hitters in the game. And I think that as the three-run home run has taken precedence and the stolen base has declined in importance, We've lost a little bit of appreciation for guys like Reigns, but for me, I look at him as as a guy that he uh, he was really good at what he did, one of the best, and and he gets a yes vote for me. So that's another one that we'll have to uh, toss in the ring for the battle royal at the end, I guess. Another controversial name, depending on how you look at the debate. The next player on the list is Jeff Bagwell, Andrew. Jeff Bagwell, for me, I, is kind of a no-doubt guy. And i I got to say that I, I don't really understand. I mean, I guess, you know, one of the things that's holding him back is obviously the PED question, which which I don't agree with. But I've, I've also seen some people argue against him with the rationale that he, he wasn't, a you know, a great dominant hitter. And I... I just don't agree with that at all. I mean, we're talking about a guy with almost 80 war for his career, I mean, eight straight 30 homer seasons. He had, you know, a great peak where he was, you know, people, you know, with Jim Rice always threw around him being, you know, a feared hitter. Well, Jeff Bagwell was, I think, as feared as just about anyone. Three seasons, eight or more war. Um, and not only that, but people forget he was a good defensive first baseman. And in the first half of his career, he could run well. He had a couple 30 stolen base seasons. Uh, this was a great, great all-around player. And, um, 
I'd probably put him, you know, if, if I could only get one guy uh, on this year's ballot into the Hall of Fame, he'd probably be it for me. Uh, impressive arguments and, and a strong statement there at the end. Josh, do you agree? I wouldn't go quite as far as Andrew with if, if I only had one vote, but uh, I will admit that I think out of everybody, for some reason, he's the one, the one name, the one guy that gets overlooked, and I'm not sure why either, because he is a, to me, he's a Hall of Famer. He had a very impressive run, and there was it was never a guy you looked at and said, ah, you know, he's an easy out. He's a guy you can overlook in that the killer B offense down there. Just you know, yeah, he's a he's a yes vote for sure. Two yeses, Dennis Jeff Bagwell. Uh, Bagwell is definitely a yes for me. I really don't understand any rationale for keeping him out. Actually. Um, he, he almost averaged 30 home runs a season or something like that. <laughs> I mean, for 15 years, 408 on base percentage for his career. Was definitely a good guy with the glove at first base. Uh, I think the only thing that that you can hold against him is is the PED question, and and I certainly wouldn't go there. And maybe the fact that he he didn't a whole lot in the in the playoffs when he did get there, but uh, other than that, I mean, those are really just flies against the windshield in this case, so I think he definitely belongs. Another guy that I voted for last year and will again this year, and every time I look at his numbers, they get more impressive to me. You know, I, I don't know, everyone's got their various reasons for not voting for him, and we've all already said our piece about the morality play, but when you just look at pure numbers, and this is a guy who played his entire career in Houston, and I've got a soft spot in my heart for those type of guys too, but it's not even – this is – this is. I mean, if if he had played for a different team every year and put up the numbers he put up, he's still a Hall of Famer. It's ridiculous. I, I can't help but wonder – what folks are thinking when they look at his numbers, whether maybe there's a group of people who look at him and go, oh, well, you know, it's easy to hit 47 home runs in Minute Maid Park like he did in 2000. But from 91, his rookie season through 99, he was playing half his games in the Astrodome, and he hit 40-plus home runs twice playing half his games in the Astrodome. I mean... (laughs) I recall reading on, I think it was on Twitter, on a blog the other day, and I don't remember who it was, and Josh knows I'm bad at this. I, I remember the the quotes, but the attribution doesn't stick with me that um, someone should make it known to all Hall of Fame voters this year that you, that you could fit two Petco parks in the outfield of the old Astrodome. It was yeah. big. It was that's, huge. That's a, the Astrodome was huge. And he hit, he hit so many home runs playing at the Astrodome. And obviously, you know, home runs aren't the end-all, be-all to getting into the Hall of Fame, but I, I got to think that if he played in any, part, any home park other than the Astrodome and didn't have the shoulder cut down his 
career at 37 instead of, say, 39. This guy's a shoe-in for 500 home runs, which is one of the big counting counting number milestones. Um, so, anyways, long-winded way of saying that Jeff Bagwell's in for me, and that is the uh, the fourth consensus guy, our fifth uh, our fifth surefire member of the pitchers hit eighth wing of the Hall of Fame. Three names remaining on the ballot. The next one, on in his tenth season on the ballot, reliever and sometime Cardinal Lee Smith Andrew. I don't have too much to say about Smith, really. I mean, he was a closer. He put up a lot of saves. But I just, for me, there's a there's a very high threshold that you have to hit as a relief pitcher in terms of dominance uh, to get in. Um, you know, a guy like Mariano Rivera would obviously hit that, maybe a couple of other guys, but I just don't think Smith was at that level. So for me, he's not a Hall of Famer. All right, Dennis Lee Smith. Yeah, let's um, another one where I flip flopped, and, and I may have flip flopped all the way back to no again on Smith. I'm, I'm not really sure yet. Uh, you know, I look at it this way: when he retired, he was the uh, career leader in saves at the time, uh, so that's a factor for me. ERA plus 132 for his career, but he wasn't quite the uh, the lockdown guy that uh, maybe a Trevor Hoffman or a Rivera has been, uh, and and his whip really kind of points to that 1.256 for his career. Uh, that's that's up there for me. Um, 8.7 strikeouts for nine tells me yeah he has a lot of years where he was. He was dominant and could strike people out, but at the same time, he was giving up a fair number of walks as well. So um, I think I flopped back to no on Lee Smith. And Josh, Lee Smith. Another guy that I, I look at the entire body of work, and as Dennis pointed out, he when he finished his career, he was he was the guy in, in terms of saves, but is that the end-all, be-all for closers? Anymore, it's not. But it, after going back and forth and, and watching him, you know, when there wasn't a lot of options for television and he happened to play for both, you know, the Cubs and the Cardinals, so you, you watched a lot of them. Uh I've gone back and forth over the years, and and to me, uh, he's the the last one standing. He's he's a yes vote. Uh, just real quickly on Lee Smith, he was a yes for me last year. He's been a yes for me for a couple years now, and and will be again this year. And I think that's maybe the one of the remaining flaws in my voting strategy is if I gave a guy a vote, I'm not going to take it away from him. And I think that may speak also to uh, you know, I, I can't help but wonder if him remaining on the ballot and not getting in is, it, you know, obviously it's it's hurting him. But there was a time again when he was the all-time leader in saves, and as that number gets passed and he continues to remain on the ballot, now that number looks less and less illustrious. You know, not that saves are necessarily a, a number to be 
held with real high importance. But in this case, to kind of play off of what Andrew said a little bit, that, yeah, there's a high standard for for relievers. And I think that along with that, I think you can tie that into longevity a little bit, at least in my mind, that if he stuck around as long as he did, obviously he was doing something to succeed that teams wanted to keep bringing him back. Now, you can make the other argument on that case with guys like Terry Mulholland and Tony Fossis at Al. Um, but in my opinion, Smith was dominant and, and was dominant for a, a fairly long period of time. And while saves are kind of being poo-pooed as a stat right now, you rack up 500 of anything, you were doing something right. It's obviously saved for strikeouts and things that are bad, but <laughs> uh, in my mind, Lee Smith is in. So again, another one for the Battle Royal is he's got uh, two yes and two no. Two names remain. The final pitcher on the list is another controversial name amongst statisticians and Hall of Fame voters. Dennis, what do you, what do you say on Jack Morris? Uh, for me, Morris is a no. He's kind of like the, I don't know, maybe the rich man's Jim Cott <laughs> in some regard. Yeah, actually he has a, a, a worse uh, ERA plus than Cott did, but that's really neither here nor there. What it comes down to for me is that uh, he wasn't that much better than a lot of his contemporaries uh, for very long. Um, 18 seasons says a lot, you know, still was a, a winner in his age 39 season, you know, kudos for that. But, you know, his whip is almost 1.3 and he's just not quite there yet for me. But I think for one reason or another, maybe it's revisionist history or, or something like that. He's been gaining steadily uh, in his, his voting numbers from the writers and, it wouldn't surprise me if he if he does make it in in year you know twelve thirteen, but uh, he's a no for me. Josh Jack Morris. He's got some great highs, uh, but they don't overlook uh, some of the other stats as Dennis pointed out. Or for me, just the 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 one factor I guess I use more than anything else, and I didn't think of him as one of the greatest of his era. So he's a no. Two no's on Jack Morris to Andrew. Yeah, Jack Morris, uh, kind of a guy I'm. I'm a little tired of tired of uh, hearing about. To be honest, I think there's been so much uh, ink spilled on his case, and and I I just don't see it. There's a lot of things people bring up, you know, the World Series, uh, the great World Series win, but when you really look at the stats, I, I just don't think you can make a good case. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a no on Morris as well. And just looking at this handy little page that Baseball Reference has for the players on this year's ballot, I see that Morris, uh, for his career, has 39.3 WAR according to Baseball Reference. Brad Radke, the very first player that we discussed and dismissed, has 40.9 wins above replacement. Radke's ERA plus for his career was better, his whip was lower, and his strikeouts to walks ratio was higher. Now, obviously, Morris was around longer and won more games, but the peripherals say that Brad Radke may have been a better pitcher, and I'm sure I'll get beat up for that, but, I mean, yikes, right? Jack Morris is not a Hall of Famer. Yeah, 
I think that that comparison probably tells you about all you need Indeed. to know. Uh, I know Andrew's got to get going here, so we'll quickly uh, move on to the last player yeah. and a uh, guy who got 62.1% of the vote last year and, and many are predicting is going to finally uh, pass that threshold to get in this year. Andrew, your thoughts on Barry Larkin? Uh, yeah, Barry Larkin, and uh, I'm going to have to uh, duck out after I say my piece on this, so uh, thanks for thanks for having me. It's It's been fun. Um, but about Barry Larkin, I kind of mentioned him before, uh, talking about Trammell. I thought they had very, very similar careers. Um, Larkin was an excellent hitter, uh, for a shortstop over his career. He could do a little bit of everything, uh, good glove, could run, could hit. Um, I just think his, his body of work is, is definitely, uh, at that Hall of Fame level. One yes vote for Barry Larkin. Andrew, thanks for being with us. I know uh, it's been a long day getting through all these guys. We uh, we appreciate your input. And, uh, folks, stay, stay tuned at the site uh, to see a lot more stuff coming up uh, from, uh, from Andrew at Pitchers today. Thanks, Andrew. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. So Andrew says yes on Barry Larkin. Dennis, you're up. Oh, I say yes on Barry Larkin. Uh, I think that um, he's sort of uh, maybe an underappreciated version of Robbie Alomar. You know, their their numbers actually, if you adjust them for the fact that even though Alomar played uh, two fewer seasons, he had uh, like something like 1,300 plus more plate appearances. Um, the rest of their numbers even out quite nicely. If Alomar's in, then I think Larkin's in. Larkin really suffered a little bit from uh, from playing in the shadow of Ozzie Smith in some people's mind in terms of what he could actually do defensively. But uh, I think he was he was underappreciated at certain points early on when he was a better defender than what people gave him credit for. So um, I think that perception it, it should be pretty much gone by now in the minds of voters and certainly is in my mind. So uh, he gets the nod for me. All right. That's two yes votes, Josh. Barry Larkin. Very well-rounded ball player. I, I, even though the Reds were a competitor to the Cardinals, I always enjoyed watching Larkin play and was happy to have him on the National League All-Star teams and, and, Definitely a Hall of Famer. Yes. Agreed all the way around. Again, voted for Larkin last year. Will do again this year. I think Dennis hit the nail on the head. A very underappreciated guy who uh, compares favorably and favorably really to, as we discussed earlier with Alan Trammell, compares favorably to him as well, which I, I don't see as a knock. I, I think that's a credit to both players, and, and hopefully Trammell gets a bump because of that. Guys, Rafael Palmero, Mark McGuire, Alan Trammell, Edgar Martinez, Jeff Bagwell, and Barry Larkin. One, two, three, four, five, six players that have received the pitcher's hit eighth nod of approval for induction into the Hall of Fame. We've got three guys, Larry Walker, Tim Raines, and Lee Smith, who split the vote. 
how do we decide on those guys? We let uh, do we see if we can get an email from Dane to split the tie? I think that'd be a reasonable uh, way of doing it. Does, does Nebraska have email? <laughs> That's a great question. We can certainly try and get in touch with them uh, before I get this edited up and posted. Uh, in lieu of that, I think. Uh, if 75% is necessary to gain induction, I guess two votes doesn't doesn't get those guys in, does it? Yeah. Actually, that's tough. actually that's uh, uh, even that yeah even with Dane's vote, they wouldn't receive the necessary percentage of pitchers hit eighth voters uh, to to gain induction. So good for me that I remembered the rules. We have uh, we have six inductees this year. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Well, guys, uh, hopefully our listeners will stick with us for this two-hour, uh, as we promised, epic episode number 10 of the Pitchers Hit 8th podcast. Dennis, ecstatic to uh, to have you finally join us. Maybe maybe we can talk you into this more often. Um, I think I'll, I'll appear maybe every 10th episode. Oh, there you go. Uh, so... <laughs> So the one you guys record number twenty, uh, just let me know. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'd really like to make more of these. They're not all two hours either, it's so. That my, no. Yeah, it's just that my for my couch and time and my sleeping time and all that really interferes with my whole uh, baseball sure. time. So. Sure. <laughs> and as we've already as we've already determined, the couch is awesome. Yeah, it's it's really not even up for debate at this point. The uh, the couch is awesome, and Tony Womack is a horrible person. Okay, so with those things being said, uh, Josh, thanks as always. I had a great time going through these guys as as seemingly monotonous as it may have been, just rattling off the nose for the first fourteen or so of them. But uh, once again, this has been a Pitchers Hit 8-centric episode of the podcast. We have come up with six names that we're recommending for induction into the Pitchers Hit 8 wing of the Baseball Hall of Fame, which obviously doesn't exist, but I've got to have something to, to hang this episode on. Uh, appreciate Andrew stopping with us earlier. He had to bolt. Uh, Dennis, again, obviously, we appreciate your time. Josh, thanks as always. Thanks to our musical guest, Stoffma who continue to provide us with the music that you listen to each episode and uh, happy new year, everybody. Thanks, Josh and Dennis. Thanks.
My goodness, we're all long-winded. <laughs> and, that, and this surprises you, Nick? Nah, it's fine. I think it's good to, you know, just because Tony Womack sucks doesn't mean that Brian Jordan wasn't worth five minutes of discussion. Like uh, Andrew said, some of these guys, you know, you see the names pop up and you're like, holy cow, yeah, I remember him. Tony Womack had an OPS plus of 72. <laughs> Let it go, man. He's not yeah, getting in. <laughs> I, for me, for me, it's funny. It's like Womack was actually kind he was of only a opposite. slightly better hitter than Terry Mulholland for his career. <laughs> yeah, he he was kind of the opposite of of Jordan for me in that when I looked at his numbers, he was actually worse than I remembered. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true for a guy. He, I I feel like everybody sees that he he's one of those guys that. He played in two World Series, so everybody's like, oh, he's a winner. That's right. That's right. But he sucked. <laughs> um, I mean, there, there was some numbers that shocked me when I looked him up. You know, I, I had no idea that Tim Salmon had a 385 OBP for his career. Yeah, Salmon was a good ball player. <laughs> he was a good hitter. He was a good hitter. Right, he was a good hitter. Oh. And and I think, you know, I'm interested to see what happens with Bernie Williams, not this year, but next year. Because yeah, Bernie's one of those. think about it. 
Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, last year, uh, Bly Levin, Alomar made it in. Um, Bernie is the only, I think, possible one that's on, uh, you know, on, on this year's class. So um, he could get helped by the fact that there are more votes available out there to grab. And I think that's going to help some of the other other people as well. Yeah, but I think he's definitely the type of player, too, that will be affected by the I won't vote for a player on his first ballot crowd. You know, he'll, oh, absolutely. he'll, he'll get right. votes. I'm thinking a couple years down the road, yeah. he'll, he'll pick up a lot of support. He'll get votes. He might even get in, but I think he's going to be one of those that's going to take eight or ten years. So, yeah, and, you know, uh, do you, do you, Nick, do you, do you consider him, you know, pre-steroid talk? Uh I don't let that I, I've made a conscious decision that that doesn't matter to me. I know it doesn't matter to you, but do you think it's gonna affect maybe not him so much, but here in the years coming when people do start looking at that and it does influence their decision. When it's him and a bunch of juicers on the ballot, whether that makes him get in, is that what you mean? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Hard to say. I did I'm I'm with you. I doesn't that doesn't impact how I look at it. I just unfortunately know there's a lot of people out there that that's all they look at. Yep. Or it plays a, a big decision maker. All right. 